We return to bringing light into darkness with our guest, Ray McGovern, as he explains how Adam Schiff hid from the American public evidence of the misrepresentations that he helped lead regarding the alleged duplicity of Russia in the hacking of the DNC. Here, Ray is sharing the significance of Sean Henry's testimony that Adam Schiff hid for some two and a half years. Listen in. Well, Adam Schiff says, well, the jig is up, so to speak. Uh, I guess I have to reveal it. So what I'll do is I'll reveal it with about 100 other documents and get buried. And then I'll whisper into the ears of people like James Clapper and John Brennan and Rachel Maddow. And I'll say, I was able to keep the secret for two and a half years. See if you can beat me on that. <laughs> no, this is not funny. But the mainstream media has now succeeded in beating Adam Schiff and keeping this secret. It is secret now for five years and counting. And your audience probably doesn't know this whole thing about Russian hacking, which was the cornerstone of Russiagate, has disappeared in the testimony now revealed, but not really. So this is really important. What you're saying, though, is for two and a half years, the media didn't, knew nothing about it. No one knew anything about it. But then it did become accessible. But the media chose not to cover it for another two and a half years. You guys, the veterans intelligence professionals, and some of our audience is not familiar with you, Ray, as well as, as I am and the integrity of your work in the past and the integrity of the of the veterans intelligence professionals. But you all actually put out a memorandum one year before the Sean Henry acknowledgement that there was not a hack on 12-5-17, you said. Meanwhile, back on December 12, 2016, the veterans intelligence professionals memo was entitled Allegations of Hacking are Baseless. And this is not based just on your interpretation, but you really deferred to the most qualified analysts, not analysts, but former technical director, William Benny. And Loomis, was he also very highly esteemed? That, that's can correct. You, can you tell us sure. the difference between a hack and a leak? That difference there? This was a major issue at the time and still is that people don't understand. Suffice it to say, the two former technical directors of the National Security Agency, Bill Benny and Ed Loomis, plus another very highly qualified person named Kurt Wiebe joined us when they saw what we was doing and telling the truth. They quit NSA and they joined veteran intelligence professionals for sanity. Now, when they looked at these allegations that the Russians hacked, they had the technical knowledge to figure out, well, if they hacked or if anyone hacked, we would be able to figure it out. How did they know that? Because they created the systems tracking hacks. Then they had these charts, of the, the view graphs, we used to call them, that Ed Snowden brought out to Hong Kong. The top secret maps that show uh, the trace routes for any sort of hack, okay? And then, of course, they had on their side the principles of physics. Now, the principles of physics don't lie. And so they were able to say in a formal VIPS memo, as you said, dated December 12, 2016, there was no Russian hack. What happened? It was a leak. A leak is something that doesn't go over the internet. A leak is something that you plug a thumb drive or some other external storage device into a computer or a server, copy, 
what's in the computer. You put it on a thumb drive, you put it in your pocket, you get on a plane, and you deliver it to WikiLeaks. That's what happens. And we said that a full year minus a week before Sean Henry did his now still secret testimony. The, the missing date, so that people can understand, Sean Henry's testimony was the 5th of December, 2017. Schiff was able to keep it secret until May 7th, 2020. That's when it was released, so to speak. That's when whispers in the ears of the media said, look, it's released, but don't report on it. And so that is in two and a half more years, we get to five years where the Americans, Americans who still think, you know, do, do a little survey, ask your friends, did the Russians hack into the DNC? And are they to blame for, for Donald Trump for four years? And the 80% would say, of course they did. Yeah, it was that Julian Assange working for the Russians. The Russians hacked, of course. So they still don't know it to this day, okay? Now, McGovern can talk into the wind here, but nobody's going to take any note until somebody forces this into the kind of media that people pay attention to, that people still think print all the news that's fit to print. Great. But that's the situation. You know, even the New York Times, the Washington, when they saw our reporting that the, the government was lying through its teeth on Vietnam, for God's sake, they would be able to verify that and report it to the American citizens. That has gone forever. The captive media is not telling the truth. And the worst, of course, and the reason this is so important, is because Americans have been subjected to six straight years of brainwashing that Putin, the Russians are evil, evil incarnate. And this prepares the way for them to be readily enlisted into a wider war against Putin, against the Russians in Ukraine on the same kind of fallacious reasoning. Let me just remind folks, we're visiting with Ray McGovern, 27-year CIA veteran, did personal briefs for the president and his staff during a number of administrations, has been working diligently since before the Iraq invasion. I can remember reading one of your first veterans intelligence professional memos that uh, called out all the false pretenses, along with people like Scott Ritter of this uh, whole Iraq invasion. You, you all proved to be on the money with those as well. You mentioned in some of your writings, this demonization of Russia. I think it's so important. James Clapper effectively said that there's a genetic predisposition that Russians are evil. Not in those exact words, but actually he's been quoted to indicate that as well. So what I wanted to turn to, Ray, with the limited time that we have left, is right now we have a scenario going on in the Ukraine and the same type of pattern of propaganda, of disinformation, where we continually are being told how Ukraine is winning and, and we need to continue to support them and actually... We've been doing a number of shows that show that that's absolutely not the case. But a recent release by Avril Haines, the CIA director, she recently put out claims that the Russians were running out of munitions and, and other things to try to allow the continuation of this false image making that the Russians are faltering, that the Russians are not succeeding that they are running into all sorts of unforeseen problems, when in fact, when you do look at the very difficult data to get your hands on of the casualty figures, the most reliable ones all point to the fact that 
the Ukrainians are suffering casualty rates at six to 10 times higher than the Russians, which is completely untenable. Can you tell us a little bit about the director's remarks and why they come at the time that they do come and your perception of what's unfolding in Ukraine as we speak on the front? Uh, Yes. The American people are in for a big shock. Unless Blinken and Nod and Sullivan and those guys are cashiered and somebody who knows which end is up comes in and tells Biden what to do, we're condemned to a shock for the American people. And that is that they've been subjected to this propaganda. And that's what it is. I'm really sorry to see Avril Haines, who's a very bright woman, but uh, here she, she expresses herself as optimistic. She's optimistic. Well, intelligence officers aren't supposed to be optimistic. They're supposed to look at the evidence. The evidence is the Russians have 300,000 people coming online. Most of them will be going up to the front. There are less than 200,000 Ukrainian troops still in action. It's not going to be long before they're decimated. They already have uh, suffered terrible casualties. So we have a a juggernaut that's not going to stop unless. Now, this is my view. Is Putin smart enough not to get sucked into places like Afghanistan, like Brzezinski tricked the Soviets into invading and giving them their own Vietnam? Yeah, Putin is smart enough to avoid that. So my view is this that Putin is willing to negotiate now. He's not going to give up the four provinces that uh, have become part of Russia under the Russian constitution, but he's willing to stop before Odessa. Now, Odessa. Odessa is a key old Russian city. It's the only really big city, well, Nikolaev is also, between the, the Russian forces now and Romania, for God's sake, And if those cities are taken, there is no access to the sea. Ukraine becomes a landlocked agricultural feeding stock for the rest of Europe. That's it. Okay. So this is the bargaining. And why do I say this? Well, because Putin himself has hinted at this. Let me explain. Putin made a three and a half hour performance at Valdai on the 28th of October. You had to read the whole thing. You had to see the whole thing. You had to print it out like I did, 23 pages, okay? What did he say in answer to the penultimate question, a canned question, I believe? The question was, hey, this is a Hungarian journalist. Uh, Mr. Putin, I want to travel to Odessa. Um, Should I apply for a Russian or a Ukrainian visa? Kind of clever way, right? Okay. In other words, are you Russians going to take over Odessa before I visit there? Or should I still apply for a Ukrainian visa? Here's what Putin says. Pay attention, please, all you who are listening. Putin. Odessa can be a yabloka razdora, an apple of discord. Now, those of you who know your Greek mythology know that that's what started the Trojan War, for God's sake, the apple of discord. Or, says Putin, it could become a symbol of conflict resolution. We have said many times we're ready to negotiate. And I mentioned recently that I'm, I'm speaking for the Russian Federation. But, you know, it's very easy. Washington, who's really the power behind Ukraine, to send the appropriate signal to Kiev that they should change their position and seek a peaceful solution to these problems, and that will do it, period, end quote. 
Have you seen that in any Western media? I doubt yes. whether the president knows it. That. Now, why would Putin make that kind of hint, overture? Because in my view, Putin doesn't want to get involved in the eternal war in Ukraine where NATO can mount insurgencies and everything else, just like in Afghanistan where the Soviets were all bogged down. He doesn't want that. He wants to negotiate a solution, and he's willing to give up the old Russian city of Odessa, for God's sake, under the Dnieper River and leave a little piece of coastline for Ukraine in return for recognition of what Russia has already gobbled up and a ceasefire that can be enforced. Uh, there should be a ceasefire line and maybe a demarcation, uh, a DMZ between um, the western part of what's left of Ukraine and the east. That's the solution that cries out. You know, and here's Putin saying it explicitly to a canned question that happens to come at the end of the thing. And uh, why does he do it this way? Because he can't talk to people like Blinken and Sullivan. They're, well, the Germans have called them Aschlocher. They, they, <laughs> they don't know their ass from their elbow, pardon my expression. And they've proved that by turning both Russia and China against us. Well, that's interesting, Ray, that Putin has learned to negotiate really with the West through these speeches he makes rather than the diplomatic channels, because he's already said and he already knows how deceitful the West has been. The Minsk agreements and this recent thing with Merkel admitting, as Poroshenko had already admitted, that they were never honest brokers with the Minsk agreement. They were going to break it and they were using it only as a cover to build up their own military strength in Ukraine. But these remarks that you suggest that Putin made were back on October 28th. That's almost two months ago, or at least a month and a half ago. And it seems like increasingly windows of opportunity are closed, right? I mean, there was an opportunity with Minsk that we've already referred to and was emblematic of how deceitful and untrustworthy the West was and is in its negotiations. And then subsequently, there was a peace deal, apparently in April of this year, that the West, led by Boris Yeltsin in the United States, convinced Zelensky to back out of. This was an agreement before the two additional oblasts of Zaporizhia and Kherson held referendums to join Russia, which is now a done deal. And I'm thinking now, I absolutely agree with you that Putin never has wanted to take all of the Ukraine. He wanted to protect the Donbass area. And subsequent to that, you had these four provinces that voted through referendums to become Russia, and that'll never be reversed. In response to a coup in February of 2014, that throughout the president, they, by huge majorities, had voted to be their own. So that's no longer on the table as well. But what makes you think that he has that faith that there's any honest brokerage going on with dealing with Joe Biden, dealing with the West in general, and that this needs to be, as some people I respect have suggested, at this point of the conflict, this needs to be a military solution along the lines that you said that the last off-ramp might be to have this access for uh, Ukraine, so it's not a complete rump state or whatever, uh, to the coast and how important that is. Is that still, you think, on the table? I would answer this way, Pedro, that the glimmer of hope is an awful sort of thing, but I call it the FPS, F 
FPS, the frozen people syndrome, okay? People in Western and Eastern Europe are going to freeze to death this winter. They will be unable to avoid the conclusion that their governments, the officials that they sort of elected, are completely feckless and unable to protect their own people from freezing to death, unable to protect their own industry from running out of the wherewithal to keep going, unable to protect their industry from fleeing to places like the United States. I'm talking about Germany now. So what are the Europeans going to do? They know that Nord Stream 2, the the pipeline, and Nord Stream 1 were both blown up. Now, who would have blown up those Russian pipelines that Germany was expecting to give it natural gas and and some oil, okay? Well, you know, John Brennan says, it's the Russians, it's got to be the Russians. MSNBC, it's the Russians, it's got to be the Russians. (laughs) Give me a break! I mean, uh, there's a limit to the credulity that people will give to these people. We blew those pipelines up, and the Germans so far have said, oh, my God, oh, well, how, what are we going to do? Oh, yo, yo. Well, the German people are going to speak, and there's already real trouble from the right as well as from the left. Europeans, after 77 years since the war, are going to have to either freeze to death or stand up on their own two feet before they freeze to death and remove the people that are responsible for the sanctions impeding their their warmth and their industry. And so that's the only hope. Now, will Biden catch on? I, I don't think he'll have much chance but to catch on when NATO kind of implodes because, well, Hungary, Italy, others are already saying you know, this, these sanctions are really hurting us. They're not hurting you at all. As a matter of fact, you are profiteering from our misery by the sanctions. So that's the only hope I have. I mean, these guys still think they're indispensable or so exceptional that they make their will go through in places like Europe. I think when people start freezing to death and when this Russian army starts its advance into the western part of Ukraine, uh, then people will say, oh my God, this is really serious. How are we going to stop them? And how are we going to turn on the spigot now And there is one line of Nord Stream 2 that still is operative. Can the Germans themselves or other people exert enough influence on their own rulers to say, for God's sake, let's turn that part of the the gas line on? So far, the answer has been no. So all I'm saying is that they've always acted like, uh, what's the word, lemmings, you know? Uh, there's an old cartoon with the two lemmings on the edge of the cliff and all the lemmings jumped off the cliff. And one turns to the other behind him and he says, do, we, do I really have to do this? The other guy says, well, you know, to do anything less would be to dishonor all the lemmings that went before us. Well, is there a limit to lemmingness? I think there will be this winter. And I fear for how many people have to freeze to death before those lemmings start acting like they don't really have to jump off the cliff. Well, Ray, let me just suggest that we are about out of time. I wanted to just remind our listeners that we've had the great privilege of visiting with Ray McGovern, a former CIA intelligence agency officer for some 27 years from 1963 to 1990. In the 1980s, he chaired the National Intelligence Estimates This is the highest intelligence information of the greatest importance that is privied to the the president in in order to make good decisions on behalf of our nation. 
And Ray is an active studier of Russian history. In fact, he holds a master's in Russian studies from Fordham University. He spent most of his professional career analyzing the Russia-U.S. policies. And what you've presented tonight on the show, as well as what you've presented in past shows on bringing light into darkness, is of great importance. Because what we have in our country is a media that has abandoned its duty to the American public. It has become part of this art of creating misperceptions, sometimes without even lying. But the bottom line is it takes us away from the truth rather than towards the truth. And it's really refreshing to be able to find people with the authority of your background and the veterans for intelligence professionals that are not afraid to speak truth to power. Ray, if people want to follow your work, What's the best way to follow some of your, your recent writings as well as your future writings? Well, we have a website that my son runs for me, created for me. It's called raymcgovern.com. Not very hard to remember. raymcgovern.com. It's easily searchable. And uh, my son posts uh, all my articles, many of my interviews, as some of my speeches on there. So, and you can search them and, you know, for what it's worth, the people who are interested in, in learning about what, uh, what veteran intelligence professionals for sanity think and do. I would add one thing here, and this probably will fall off because out of time, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> your hagiography of me makes me feel like, uh, I'm a person of the year like Zelensky, for God's sake. You know what I have to disavow? Always being right. I was dead wrong. And this is important. I was dead wrong in thinking that Putin would not have to invade Ukraine, and therefore he wouldn't. Why was I wrong? I was wrong because I didn't have the faith of my own conviction. What was my conviction? My conviction was that Russia and China were together as never before. I couldn't make that next step to say that, therefore, China would support Russia if Russia decided to invade another country in violation of China's principle of Westphalia, okay? Sovereignty, non-interference in the, non-invasion of, you know. And what happened in February, Xi Jinping said, okay, as long as you wait till the end of the Olympics, go ahead. Now, that is big. That is the new constellation of forces. That's a tectonic shift in relationships uh, between the major powers or among the major powers. And I was wrong, but I've learned (laughs) why I was wrong. And not only I, but of course, others were wrong because others never believed that China would condone this violation of their bedrock principle of uh, Westphalia, really. In effect, Uh, Xi Jinping gave uh, Mr. Putin a waiver on Westphalia, and that is big, and that could not be bigger. Very good. Well, we should leave it there. Really, the existential threat, so to speak, if you will, of the unipolar reality of the United States is what's at stake here with Russia, China saying, no, every country has or should have the sovereignty to pursue its best interests without affecting the national security of another nation. That's what's at stake here. And Ray, thank you so much. Again, people want more information from Ray McGovern. They can go to raymcgovern.com. Thank you, Ray, so much for your time today. 
You're most welcome, Pedro. We'll see you next week.